Each choice we make moves us toward fear or love. On my Life and Laughter podcast, we'll talk about those choices and learn how to attract more love and connection and laughter. This is Perry Kinder. Let's get started. Hey, Life and Laughter listeners, welcome back to my podcast. This is Perry Kinder, and I'm here today with Shelly Coburn. She is a a therapist and life coach, and I'm excited to talk to her about our topic today because I think a lot of people are feeling some level of anger in our society. Let me give you a little bit of a background about Shelly first. Her career in mental health began in the area of philanthropy and humanitarian efforts with the numerous third world countries, leading her to seek for an advanced degree in social work and psychotherapy. She has her own practice, Bloom Therapy and Life Coaching, and has been on staff at Huntsman Mental Health Institute for more than 12 years. She began her working career in architectural architectural design, easy for me to say, and continues to step into this arena periodically. She's a mother of three talented children, has a passion for connecting with people, and has the opportunity to have traveled to 65 countries, more than 65 countries. Just recently, she returned from a trekking through Patagonia, she enjoys skiing in this Utah snow, which is plentiful this year. Mm-hmm. She's an avid hiker and is currently learning to sail and kiteboard. You are all over the place, Shelly. Welcome. Indeed. Yeah. Thank you, Perry. Yeah, thanks for being here today. Absolutely. I reached out to you because um, you are a therapist. You work with lots of different people. Mm-hmm. And specifically today, I wanted to talk about anger and women. It's funny, my husband will listen to my podcast and he'll sometimes say, you know, you sounded a little bit angry. And it reminded me of the the Marvel's Avengers movie when Captain America tells Bruce Banner, okay, it's time to get angry because when he gets angry, he turns Mm -hmm. into the Hulk. And Bruce Banner says, well, that's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. (laughs) And I thought, I don't feel like I'm always angry, but I feel like there's a level of just rage seething under my skin, whether it's about racism or sexism, the patriarchy, injustice, I mean, all of it. Am I normal? (laughs) Maybe that's, maybe that's the best question. Should, well, I, should I actually get help for this? It, de- it depends on what you define as normal. But I think the question that was going through my head as you were talking, Perry, is what does it feel like to you? Hmm. What does that anger feel like to you? It feels like helplessness. Helplessness. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. That there's so many things that are wrong right now, and I feel helpless to fix any of it. Okay. Yeah. And I think that that is actually a really uh, great word to be using for... Um, for that feeling of anger is helplessness. Mm. And I think that that's where a lot of it stems from with women, because we think about a lot of the issues that are systemic in our society today. We don't have a lot of say so in it. We don't have a lot of things that we can really do. Right. We don't really have a voice Mm. in the matter. Right. Um, So when you think about that helplessness, um, and the expectations that you might hold for yourself and for future generations, what does that make you feel like? Um, I feel, actually, I feel hopeful for future generations. Good, good. Yeah, I think. Why? I think the newest generation is, is on board with what is happening. And they are, they are determined to make this world better. I think my generation is in a place where, you know, we've messed it up. We don't know how, what to, where to go from here. And I feel bad that we're kind of dumping this all on the younger generation, but they are so on top of it. So I feel really hopeful that once we die out, <laughs> that maybe, <laughs> maybe there's going to be some hope and that we won't feel as angry 
as we have been feeling and frustrated and, and, and fearful. Yeah. I kind of wonder about that with my, like my own mother's generation. I wonder if they were thinking that maybe my generation would kind of pick it up. Oh, shoot. And I, and I, and I don't think we did. <laughs> I don't think we did. I think that we just took status quo as the, this is the way things are done and let's not rock the boat and let's just move on with things. Right. Um, as they are, but I, I tend to agree more with you. Um, as we were talking earlier, I had a women's group yesterday, and these were 20 and 30-year-olds. And I was shocked at how much more in tune they were with what was happening, what was happening on our own Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and those people who are really making choices for us and how even, you know, I, the thing that came out that I thought was really interesting that a few of them brought up was, you know, there are women that are making choices for us and decisions for us, but they tend to be a little bit more conservative. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really help us out overall. Right. And I was surprised at how much they knew and how much more in tune they were with what was happening yeah, well, than I ever was. Yeah, when I was that age, I had no idea. Oh, no. Yeah. No, it wasn't something we really talked about. Yeah. So let's talk about women and anger. So do you find that women, and obviously women and men express anger differently, experience anger differently. Do you find it with your, with your clients, do you find it hard for them to express anger? Do they even recognize what it is? Oh, absolutely, because they feel like it's bad or wrong, hmm. um, that they have the feeling and they, they don't know how to express it. And if, it, if they express it, it tends to be explosive because it's like a dam that has been um, held up for so long that when it finally bursts, it comes out <laughs> right. Explosive. explosively. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they th- say, well, what's wrong with you? Why are you so angry? Yeah, and then, there's, then there is a lot of shame and guilt that gets mm-hmm. placed around that, yeah, right? A lot of judgment. Yeah. yeah. Anytime women get loud, there's a lot of judgment. Yeah, that's a great word to be using, Perry, yeah. judgment. So how can women recognize these emotions without their own self-judgment? Because, you know, I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't be feeling angry. I shouldn't be feeling upset. I think we talk ourselves out of our emotions a lot. How do we identify them and how do we stop doing that? Well, the big question I would ask you is why? Hmm. Why can't we feel anger? Okay, it's okay yeah, for men to there, feel yeah. anger. I mean, nobody faults a, a man for feeling anger. Why is it so wrong for a woman to feel anger? And I don't know the answer to that, except we've been trained. Yeah. That we have to be kind. We have to be calm. We have to be nice. Don't want to be too loud. Don't want to be too shrill. Don't want to be labeled. And would that be why? We just don't express it. We've been Absolutely. told all of our we lives have, we, we should have, be. We have societal norms and values, right, that we like to stay very in tune with and close to. Why? Because um, we want to be accepted mm-hmm. and we want to be liked. And that is a big fear in women that, and, and this is what, this is, if I had to say that there is one underlying thing that I see in a lot of the women that I meet with is that they don't have a lot of self-confidence. They really don't know who they are. They haven't taken the time. So many women, and not just in our in our society here in, in Utah, but maybe all over the country, they get, they get educated, but then they get married mm-hmm. fairly quickly. And where does their attention go? It it's, goes to the children. It goes to the husband. It goes to the family. It goes to... 
uh, church maybe, community, work, they're spread so thin. They don't have time to really think about themselves. I'm thinking of a woman that I saw, this was years ago, and she came in and she was in her 50s and she had had, I think she had six or seven children. And she said, you know, they're all leaving the house. And I am left wondering who I am Mm. because I don't even know what I like to eat. I have fixed food for my family for the past, you know, 20 years, 25 years that they like, <laughs> right? not that I like. And I, so I don't have any interests. I don't have any, anything to really gauge who I am. So you think about an individual who doesn't know who they are. Often they might identify it as I feel like I'm a shell of a person, mm. um, where do where does the self confidence come from? You know that's that's a really hard thing to figure out when you really don't know who you are. Right. And then you, so you take that, and so what do you do? You look around you and you try to copycat what you see as, and you identify as being perfect or being good or being whatever it is, mm-hmm. however you, you define it. So then we have perfectionism that comes into play, which is. Not even real. Right. Right. Not even possible. It's not possible. <laughs> yes. It's not even a real thing. And th- then you're striving for that, which is an exterior. It's an outside motivation. It's an outside goal to go after. And which now you're perpetuating the problem even further, right? Right. And so you're going after something that's not even real. You're trying to identify with something that doesn't even really, maybe it doesn't even connect with you. Where does that lead you? Right. I think you just feel lost. I mean, yeah. I, I do work with women who are trying to rediscover who they are. And and they're they're angry that they, they've lost so many years of getting to know themselves. Yeah. And I think it's so important for women to take that time to, you know, what do I like? Make a, I think I said this in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, you know, make a meal that you enjoy. You know, we cook for other people all the time. Like you said, what is your favorite meal? You know, if you had to go to a restaurant, what's your favorite restaurant? And we, yeah. just, we just don't know. Yeah. We've been, you know, giving that choice over to other people for so long that, and I, I think it's the same thing with our emotions. We give them away to other people for so long that we don't know how to use them anymore. Yeah. And the big word that comes to mind when you talk like that. And that women really do not understand is the word boundaries, hmm. because what yeah. you said, like we give it away, mm-hmm. we give we give everything away, and yet when I bring up boundaries with women, their immediate reaction is, "But that's being um, selfish." Yeah, they get really defensive. They get very defensive. Yeah, that's a, I'm very selfish if mm-hmm. I do that, and, and they don't understand how boundaries really protect them. Right, having a boundary with themselves, with their husbands, with their children, with their church, with their God, with their family. Boundaries are in every aspect of our life. And women will set boundaries, but they don't enforce them. It, yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that you recognize and that. It's so interesting. What, what's an example of, a, of an easy boundary a woman might be able to set in her life? Really easy one that comes to mind right off the bat is when somebody asks you to do something for them, you don't have the time, the energy, the desire for, mm-hmm. say no. Yeah, that, There's nothing wrong with it. It sounds so easy. <laughs> it sounds like, oh, 
yeah, I'll just say no to, you know, taking in these three kids for the weekend. I'll, I'll just say no to that. But then that happens and you think, well, but I'm not really doing anything and I want to help this family. And you have all what, these what's reasons. What's this person going to think of me if right. I tell them yeah, no? If I tell them no, they're going to think I'm a horrible person. What would Jesus do? I mean, you go through the whole <laughs> yes. list of judgment and then you end up saying yes. And yep. then you're enraged the entire weekend. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. A lot of anger that builds up even more, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Setting boundaries is one of the biggest ways you can really circumnavigate that feeling of anger because when you stand up for yourself, you empower yourself. And when you empower yourself, what's there to be angry about? Right. Take care of you first. I love that. And then you have a lot more to give other people. And I think, Shelley, that there's a, a bad connotation of the word selfish. Mm. You know, when you, when you think of selfish, you think of someone who's really greedy and very self-centered and very um, uncommunicative and very whatever. They're all in their own head. But if I think of selfish, I think I'm paying attention to myself. I need to be selfish to heal oh, myself. I like how you put that, Perry. Yeah. yeah. So it's selfish. Lovely. Not, not the negative connotation of, oh, she's just a selfish bitch. No, she's just being self-care and self-love and uh -huh. self-worth and self, um, all the self things that That's you need to That's a really healthy way of looking at it because, and, and another really good way of looking at it is if you think of your, think of your own bank account, think of your life as a bank account. If you're constantly withdrawing and you're not putting money in, you're going to run empty. You're going to run dry pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have got to constantly be putting something into yourself so you have something to withdraw. The same goes into a marriage, right? Or mm -hmm. a friendship or anything else in your life. You've got to put something into it right. in order to withdraw something from it. And even that, it's so interesting when I talk with, with clients and I say, let's go through your, let's go through your daily schedule and let's do everything. Let's list everything that you do every day. And we're going to find 30 minutes where you could do something that you love. And almost a hundred percent of the time, they can't find thirty minutes. Well, here's the question: Can they find something to do in that thirty minutes? No, that they and love? yeah, that's my next point. Is if they do find even fifteen minutes, they're like, I don't know what to do with fifteen minutes. Yes, and unless unless it's binge watching right. or, or playing a video game or something. Right. It's like you know, do you get out and hike? Do you get out and walk? Do you? Well, no, I'd like to, but I don't do it. Right, or I'd like to read, or I'd like to rollerblade again, or I'd like to take a dance class. Mm -hmm. And that idea that being selfish means I can't do any of those things because that's selfish of me to want to do that. But where is so backwards? Why I don't hear this when I'm speaking with my male clients. Oh, right. I don't hear the word selfish. <laughs> right. I always hear it from the females. Hmm. Where did that come from? Where did we learn that? Yeah, because it's learned. Yeah. It's so not where, something so we were born with. Where did we with. learn it? I mean, how did, how did that get so ingrained in us? Is it our culture? Is it our history? I, mean, I think a lot of it comes from even just within our own families. You know, looking at the difference between, I had a lot of brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. and I kind of look at, and my, I think overall my parents did a really good job trying to raise us equally. We all shared the same kind of chores. You know, girls were outside mowing the lawn. Guy, you know, the boys were inside doing dishes and that. But at the same time, I think there were some underlying messages that were put across to us that I don't think my parents understood that they were doing it. But right. I think it came, stems from families, from society, definitely from churches. And I would say most Christian churches um, 
tend to um, give that message across a great deal more than maybe some others. Right. Um, when it comes, when it, you know, I think of the word boundaries and, and, and Christianity per se, there are two, there are authors out there that um, Townsend and, um, and I can't remember the other guy's name. Anyway, they're pastors in a Christian denomination somewhere, I think in Texas, if I, if I remember right. But I really think they were so ahead of their time because they recognized the fact that Christians, per se, don't keep really good boundaries mm. because of the messages that we have that have been taught incorrectly that come from Scripture. And so um, if you get their books on boundaries, they're brilliant. They use Scripture and, and kind of renegotiate, if you would, what we have learned as this is what the scripture means. And they're like, mm, maybe not. Maybe we should look at it this way. I love that. You know, because I, they don't believe that Jesus taught people to live boundaryless lives. Oh, that's Quite the opposite. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, a good series to look up um, and you can get their book, you know, online. It's mm-hmm. really, I, I recommend it for a lot of my clients because there's just so many people that don't understand what it is. Right. So, you know, it's interesting. Growing up when I was a little kid, my mom and dad never fought. Uh, but they did. <laughs> we just didn't realize that they were fighting. So we picked up on all these little subtle clues over the years where, you know, my dad would go upstairs, they'd give each other the silent treatment. My mom's jaw would clench. They would just, they would never, we never heard them resolve an argument. This is brilliant. What you're bringing up, Perry, because you know, um, what you're bringing up is because see, I kind of grew up in the same family because Mm -hmm. my parents both grew up in homes where the parents fought like cats and dogs. Oh, wow. And so what was modeled for them felt very uncomfortable, unsafe. And they, so they decided to completely do it backwards. Right. And we're never going to fight in front of our children. I don't remember ever seeing my parents fight. So right. what did I grow up seeing? That it's scary to confront people right. with hard issues. Just with hard hold it in. Thing. Hold it in. <laughs> yeah, don't talk about it. Yes. I mean, I don't think either way is right. But what I tell my clients when they, this is brought up is have disagreements with your spouse in front of your children. Mm-hmm. I mean, not screaming, yelling matches. Right, but disagree. But disagree. But then also make up in front of them mm-hmm. and apologize in front of them and help them see that it's healthy to be okay with not being in total agreement because right. you're entitled to be your own person in a marriage. Right. I love that. And you don't have to agree with each other on everything. But you, if you have disagreements, little arguments in front of the kids, but you also make up in front of them, it models such a huge thing for them going forward where they can tolerate this so much better mm-hmm. because what happens, I, I, I remember talking with a client the other day who was wanting to bring her 13 year old in. And I said, why don't you have the conversation <laughs> with her? You're her mother, right? I'm a therapist. Why don't you have the conversation with her? She's going to listen to you. And she's like, I'm afraid of, you know, what she's going to say and what she's going to do. I'm like, but 
that's the problem is that we are modeling for our children that you need to be afraid of hard conversations. Whereas, and and I think that that is a real big deal for females in particular. Mm -hmm. I think men are a lot better at it. Um, They can tolerate it a lot more. I think as women, we're really afraid to talk about, have hard conversations, want somebody else to do it for us because we're afraid of the answer. We are afraid of, um, having to be, take care of, of that emotion Mm -hmm. that comes with the answer. Wow. So you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that. It was beautiful. Well, you know, because when I got married the first time, my husband was very angry. And so we, we did fight. We fought all the time. And I thought that we were just doomed from the start because I had never seen my parents act that way. Right. They, they never yell at each other. So there was something very wrong yeah, with so your marriage. Yeah, something very wrong with probably me. Yes. Because he was mad at me. So obviously I had done something wrong, never had learned how to resolve those things. And you just, you do, you just kind of swallow it and you wrap around it like you're creating a pearl. You just kind of hold it to your chest and it well, grows you, you there. you create a storyline yeah. along with it. Yeah. Wow. So what... How can women learn to identify big emotions and deal with them? What are some tips they could do? So the number one thing, I mean, this is, this is going to sound um, really odd, and I'm not really good at it either, <laughs> but in all the research that I have read about and, and looked into, journaling. Oh. Journaling is huge yeah. for getting emotions put down in, in a space that is healthy for you to kind of process. Mm-hmm. Um, in a in a space that you can kind of think it over and think it through, journaling is a really great tool to use. We just don't use it enough. Yeah. Um, but first, you've got to be in tune with yourself and recognize what is it that I'm really feeling. Where am I holding it in my body, and what do I want to do with it? Mm. So. I know when I get angry, I get I get a stomach ache. That's where I first know. Shoulders or stomach? Shoulder. Yeah, my shoulders the, yeah, lift up by my ears. Two of the most common places. My stomach hurts. Yes. And that's usually when I realize, even if I'm not consciously aware that I'm upset about something, it's like, oh, why why am I hunched? Yes. <laughs> first? Yeah. Why is my stomach hurting? And I go, oh, this this person said this, and it really made me angry. And like you said, learning how to identify that it took it took a long time for me to first acknowledge, oh wow, I'm, I'm angry. And it kind of got cool after a while to feel anger because oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because it's like I hadn't allowed myself to feel it for so long. Yeah, it's like this emotion. Like, and then I realized it isn't permanent. It's not a permanent emotion. I'm not always going to be angry, even though my husband thinks I am sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> that, that I'm not always going to be angry. I'm not always going to have to feel this helplessness and this fear. It just—it's an emotion. You're going to work through it. You're going to get through it. And I don't journal, but I do—I do a lot of talking to myself. So it's like journaling out loud. That's fine. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, what works for you, you know, right? <laughs> right. Journaling is not going to work for everybody. Yeah. But what works for you? Yeah. And and you know, but more to the point, stop trying to be like other people. Stop trying to be perfect. Stop because again, it's not real. Right. When you pay attention to you, when you pay attention to your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, what it is you want out of your life, where are your values? What's important to you? Because not everything can be super important to you. We don't have the time or energy to really put that much into everything in our life. 
But when you do that you, and, and you actually start participating in your own life, instead of just going through the motions of trying to look a certain way, you add so much um, value, so much meat. I don't know what other word to use <laughs> to your own self, yeah, right? Yeah. And you learn who you are. And so a lot of the the anger, a lot of those um, harsh feelings that you feel bubbling up inside of you because um, of that perfectionism, of it trying to be something that's not even real, of, of trying to re attain a goal that's unattainable. I mean, it's like treading water. Yeah. And you let go of so much of that. So pay attention to what it is you, who you are, journal about it. Um, uh, you know, start living life, start doing the things that you enjoy doing. And, and it's not selfish. It is not yeah. selfish. No, absolutely not. You're here to, you're here as an, an individual to express you as that individual, not to try to express somebody else mm -hmm. in you. That right. doesn't even make sense. Yeah. You know, another thing my, my mom modeled, I think lots of moms in this culture model is um, never-ending service. Yes. Um, yeah. Even at the expense of your own you sanity and expense. Yeah. Yeah, you can't give enough. Um, I it's think, the altruism. Yeah, I think she in modeled... In our society. You, like, like you said about boundaries that you don't say no to people who need help. Um, but I remember her telling me once that she didn't get to be the person she wanted to be. Oh, sad. And it was, it was really sad. She passed away about 12 years ago. And um, I remember thinking how sad that she had spent so much of her life wishing she had done something different or wishing for a different life because she thought either that she was trapped in the family organization or the patriarchy or the church or whatever she was involved with, that she didn't have the, the courage or the permission for herself to open a door and to do something different. And that wasn't anything drastic. You know, she didn't want to live in the Philippines and, you know, live in Hawaii. She just right. wanted to explore her own interests. Oh. And, and we never saw her do that. And I think that's changed me. So I let my kids see, hey, yeah, I'm going to go take this class. And yeah, you're here alone tonight, but you know how to make dinner. So you can figure yeah. it out. Yeah. But trying to break that. Yes. I, and, you know, I grew up much the same way where my mother was, she was that stay-at-home mom. And that's what the role, she enjoyed it. She loved it. She oh, gave yeah, my up. My mom did too. She loved yes, it. Yes. Yeah. She gave up a lot of herself because I remember her saying, oh, yeah, I used to ski and I used to snowmobile and I used to do this. And then I had kids and it was like, it would have been so much fun, mom, if you had been out there. Because my dad would take us and do things, but it would mm -hmm. be so much fun for you to be there with us too. And that's why, you know, as even with small children, I would leave and travel by myself mm -hmm. and because they could stay home with their father. Right. And, and I, I wanted to go off and explore things that I was interested in. I didn't think that because I had small children that I needed to stay there with them. I raised them. I was with them most of the time, but that didn't mean that I couldn't go off and explore who I was. Right. And I, I know my mom was super angry with me <laughs> during those times because she let me know that that wasn't cool, you right. know, that I should have been staying home. And yeah, I see my children now as grown individuals and they're so grateful that right. I showed them and that I modeled that for them because it's given them now permission to move forward and be the type of people they want to be. Yeah, I think that if nothing with, else... Without apology. Yeah, exactly. If nothing else, I, th I want women to take from this conversation 
to not be afraid to live their life wholeheartedly. Oh, absolutely, Perry. Yeah. Love it. That's when the resentment, the anger, the frustration, the fear, it, it, like you said, it builds up like a dam and pretty mm-hmm. soon, you know, you're exploding in your family and you're throwing dishes and you're stomping out of the house and driving away. When if you just release that a little bit of a, t- at a time, uh-huh. it doesn't, it's not the buildup. It's not the pressure that. Completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And to marry somebody or have someone in your life who supports that. Because that's a huge thing too. Absolutely. You know, the, sometimes the spouse is saying, well, why aren't you doing this? And it's their judgment that holds you back. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's damaging. It is. So you know, being careful about who you bring into your life. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Getting that support is critical. Yeah. Yeah. So how, let's say you're a woman who doesn't know how to ask for what she wants. She has a husband who's not really good at supporting her. What steps could she take to, so she's journaled her emotions. She's worked that out. What can she do next to move on to becoming a more whole person? I think it just has to do with taking baby steps towards it. I think oftentimes women in particular tend to chew off or, or, or bite off more than they can chew. And I always urge people, look, if you do things in smaller steps, then you can um, step into it with a little bit more confidence and and um, capability. And then as you build on that, you can take another step and build on that. Mm-hmm. And until, you know, down the road, you recognize the fact that you've come so far. Right. And it's, it's going to, I wish I had like, like, Oh, step one, do this step two. I wish I had that, but for every individual, it's different, right? Because every person has different, different capabilities, different fears that hold them back. Mm -hmm. And so it's about, again, I can't stress it enough, like recognize your strengths, build on those first. Mm. And then as you become more self-confident, take a look at some of the things that you're not really strong at, some of your weaknesses, and try to pull those in to become, be curious about them, and then build on them to, to turn them into strengths. Right. You know, I the very that. first time I ever taught, because I, I was an adjunct professor at a university, and I was so afraid, so scared and, you know, I could have said no to the job because that would have been a super safe way, right? Sure. I'd never done it before. So I didn't know if I had that capability or not. But every time I did it, I became more and more confident to the point where I needed fewer notes, to the point where it was like I just welcomed the questions that were coming out of the students. And so you have to overcome your fears for first and foremost right. and just take that step in and build on it. I love that. You recognize that your fear isn't a warning. Yes. Yeah. No, our fears are there to tell us something, but you don't have to back down from them. Right. Lean into them. Yeah. I love that. So how can people find you if they want to work with you, if they want to learn more about you? Um, I'm so it's bloom, um, therapy and life coaching. Um, they can, uh, look me up. Uh, Bloom Personal Coaching is uh, www.bloompersonalcoaching. Um, my office is just off of Wasatch. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very central. So I'd love to talk to people. They can um, find me on Psychology Today. Well, thank you so much for being here. I Absolutely. Love, I love your expertise and your, your views on how women can be better versions of themselves and let go of some of the stress and resentment. Yeah. Always building on those strengths, right? Yeah. That's what I like to bring into view because 
it's shocking to me how many women don't understand how many strengths they Oh yeah, and they we're have. so powerful. We're so powerful. Mm-hmm. I think we should make men afraid. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for coming today. And thank you thank for listening you, Perry. to all my listeners out there. Please come back next week and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Do you want more life and laughter? Check out my blog at lnlcoaching.com and find me on Instagram and Facebook at Life and Laughter Coaching. See you again soon.